Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. I feel like I have to exhale after Tuesday's episode. I did a deep dive, so it was the first time in a while that there hasn't been an interview and I took full responsibility for not backfilling my calendar. But I thought that I would deep dive into why some of the contributing factors as to why it feels like fraud is overwhelming and through the roof right now. But I almost wanted to do like a fun and silly palate cleansing episode today because I know that was a lot on Tuesday. It was a lot for me. And so it's probably a lot for you to digest. But I also hope it was really helpful to understand why things are increasing so much. And if you feel overwhelmed, there's a reason for it. And also you're not alone. I think that is something that us as humans, especially after spending the majority of the last two years in our homes on our own, it just helps to know that we're not the only ones. So we're all in it together. I have joked before that I feel like a fraud meteorologist and it's not always a fun job, but I do think it's an important one. And I'm grateful for the trust that a lot of you put in me and sharing what's going on the ground and, you know, sometimes sharing the news and the weather or whatever metaphor we want to use isn't fun, but it's necessary. And so instead of a palate cleanser, though, because fraud doesn't stop, I wanted to highlight the newest method of refund fraud that's targeting online retailers. I haven't talked about refund fraud in a while on the podcast, in part because I feel like I talked about it so much last year and it just it seemed like it fell on deaf ears for a while. Actually, I started talking about it back in 2020, but there's just a lot of newer information out there and there's a newer tactic that a lot of retailers are starting to see, or at least they're seeing pieces of it and they're not sure what's going on. And so I thought that I would highlight it for you to better understand whether you're a retailer and you're seeing this pieces of this and this can help put it together as to what's happening in the big picture. Or you're not a retailer, you're in digital goods, or you're a solution provider. I think it's helpful for all of us to know what's going on in different areas and different verticals. And I do hope to dive into some of the specific verticals more, but this is you know, specific to retail. But then again, some digital goods companies are seeing some of these tactics, though this one in particular, I think is very much reserved for physical goods retailers. So just a reminder, there are two core areas of an e-commerce business that refund fraud exploits. One is customer service and one is the warehouse. An example of an exploit in customer service is calling and saying, my package didn't arrive. Often companies call that inventory and not received or some version of that. Sometimes it's product not received, merchandise not received, etc. So that's kind of like one of the easiest tiers of refund fraud. And yes, sometimes there can be legitimate people who just do that every once in a while. But I'm really talking about the career refunders. They're the ones that are causing the most losses at a huge scale. And they're also ones that actually you can prevent. It's in a very different way than payment fraud. But anytime there are intentions 
oftentimes they're systemized and systemized intentions will create signals that you can prevent against. They're going to be in a different place, but they're there. So they'll be at customer service or at the warehouse. One of the examples of exploiting the warehouse for refund fraud would be sending back a box of rocks instead of shoes that you ordered. Or this happened a long time ago, but there is an electronics company that would sometimes receive plywood in a box in place of a, a big screen TV. And it would be the exact weight of the big screen TV. So they would order the big screen TV, take it out very carefully, replace it with plywood, return it back to the retailer and say, oh, I don't know. I never opened the box. I ended up buying a TV in a store. So I don't know. You must have sent me a piece of plywood. Those are just two of the ways that both of those places are being exploited for refund fraud. There are actually five overall categories of refund fraud that I've identified. I've talked about that in the past, but three of them are exploiting customer service. Two of them are exploiting the fulfillment center. I should say that in every circumstance, they're usually reaching out to customer service via chat, via phone, et cetera. Sometimes they can do it within their account, depending on your e-commerce or app setup. But in these cases, they're actually for warehouse, they're sending something back or they're making it look like they sent something back. So it's a little bit different variation. This is really post-transaction fraud. So therefore it's almost impossible to identify it at the time of transaction like payment fraud. So that's something that has been a challenge for people, especially some of the more traditional payment fraud providers that tried to create a very quick solution to this a year or two ago and realized they were trying to fix the wrong problem. So some of them thought, oh, this is just the same as one user, one account, and then ordering something and claiming it's not received. And that can happen, but it's not going to happen at scale. And like I said, you're not going to be able to identify that as much as the people who are doing this as their job now. And since COVID, a lot of people, especially in Gen Z, have realized this is a great way to make a lot of money. Uh, and retailers just haven't been prepared for it really at all. I'm lucky enough to work with about 30 of the biggest retailers on refund fraud on a biweekly basis. So that's part of where I'm getting my information. But the other part is also I'm an active lurker. I don't actually post anything, but I actively look at several Telegram groups and have studied them quite a bit. So I have a pretty strong understanding of tactics and what they'll do if one door closes and just their methodology and all that. So that's where some of this is coming from, too. Most hostile refunders are not reusing accounts. They're opening new accounts with fairly accurate information. Their payment methods aren't stolen. Sometimes they're using their own cards. Sometimes they're using prepaid cards, registered prepaid cards. In some cases, they're using alternative payment methods, especially when they have very buyer-friendly policies on their disputes. It doesn't look the same as payment fraud. At the time of purchase, their orders blend in with good orders for new customers. So it looks almost exactly like, if not exactly like, any other order that comes to your website from a new customer. And oftentimes they're buying popular items, but so are good customers. So again, there's just not too many signals at the time of purchase. And mentioned that there are five core methods. So the newest method I wanted to highlight is in the what professional refunders call the FTID category. All the names for the five refund methods that I have are what the fraudsters call them. I don't know, we need to get like a council together and decide if we want to create new names for it, but that's not my job. But what the refunders are calling it is FTID, which to them stands for fake tracking ID. 
There are several different manipulations that fall into this FTID category. One common method that warehouses have seen for a while, depending on how big your brand is, you may have seen this for the last two years, you may have seen it for the last one, or maybe you just see it here and there. But it involves sending a return tracking label that's often generated by the website and the merchant on a padded envelope or a small box with no identifying information. So it's just the tracking number, but often they'll take off or they'll change the customer name and, and return address and all that. Their goal is for the warehouse to just throw it away. Sometimes they'll put like a sticker that makes it look like an advertisement or something like that. So the warehouse looks at it and is like, eh, we're going to toss this. So then they'll call customer service and ask why they haven't received a refund for their return item. When customer service pulls up their account and checks the tracking ID, the package shows delivered at the fulfillment center. So customer service assumes that the item just hasn't been checked in yet and provides a refund. This has been happening for quite a while and can honestly work for refunders up to like ten dollars to $15,000. Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology, and one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe. Without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score. Or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models. And their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. And that's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode. in some cases, depending on the retailer. Uh, and because carriers reuse tracking IDs every 90 to 120 days, most or all CRMs can't look up a customer's order just by the tracking number. So when a warehouse just receives a tracking number and there's no other identifying information on that shipping label, they can't put the tracking number into their CRM to search for the customer. The only way that a company can know which tracking number goes to which customer is if the customer calls and gives their information and someone at customer service looks up the account, the tracking number will be with the account, but it's not a searchable item. So this is how they're getting away with it. 
and they are preying on silos within a company, which in some cases have worked very well. Uh, the newest method is even more convincing of a system error and has been responsible for up to $30,000 claims each. And these are on refunds without returned merchandise. This is impacting a lot of companies, especially some in the retail goods space. That's who I've heard it from first. Um, sorry, luxury goods, retail goods, of course, but luxury goods. So brand name luxury items, handbags, jewelry, clothing, etc. That's who's seen it first, but I know that it's starting to trickle down into electronics and into sneakers and other high demand, low supply or limited supply items and all of that. And again, this is really going to apply just to physical goods merchants because digital goods merchants don't have tracking numbers. This also so far is specific to one carrier. I try really hard not to use company names or anything like that. But this isn't, I, I know that I'll be getting like 20,000. That's not how many people listen to the podcast, but at least a couple hundred emails asking me which carrier. So for anyone listening at that carrier, do know that there are vulnerabilities at every shipping carrier. And this is also mostly happening in the U.S. right now. However, I think it's starting to happen in the U.K. And I wouldn't be surprised if it scatters out. A lot of times with refund fraud methods, it starts in the U.S. It goes over to the U.K., some parts of Europe, especially Germany, sometimes Australia and APAC, but not as much yet. But primarily the merchants I've talked to have seen this on UPS packages. So again, not trying to call out UPS. Every carrier has its things, but the specific issue so far is only on them. It, it could be happening on FedEx, DHL, others. I'm not sure. So here's how it works. The customer receives the item that they ordered. They take the item out of the package and often will add garbage or canned goods or anything to match the weight of the item ordered. If they know that the merchant isn't looking at the return weight, they might just put it on an envelope, but they're getting more sophisticated as some merchants are starting to put in a few stop gaps for this. They'll try to match the weight of the item ordered. So they then scan the original tracking label into their computer and edit it in Adobe PDF editor or something similar. They're removing all identifying information, so name, address, etc., in the two, and are placing the address with a bogus address. Often it's a small business, that will just think it's a random delivery and throw it away. That oftentimes they'll send it to a completely different state or province. So if they're ordering an item in Seattle, they're gonna change that address on that tracking number from the retailer that was sent to, to somewhere in like Missouri or Kansas and Missouri are close by, but Florida, something like that, Nashville, somewhere else. It is looking like they are picking specific regions, but I'll expand on that in a few minutes about why that is. Okay, so they're using the original tracking number that came from the merchant to the customer, and they're changing it so that all the identifying information is different. However, the barcode and the max code on the shipping label are the same. So that's how this manipulation works. So they'll put this new label that they scanned and edited uh, on their computer onto the same package, sorry, or envelope and put it back into circulation. So put it back into UPS's circulation and ship back off. One to two weeks later, they call customer service to say, I never received my package. And when customer service looks up the tracking number in the account, they see that the item was delivered to uh, a totally different address and that the final delivery is delivered, but in Missouri or Kansas or Florida that huh, this person was supposed to get this item in Seattle. How did it end up being delivered to Florida? 
So they'll see it's a way different. The final status is a very different address. Often they won't open the full delivery history to see it was delivered midstream and then delivered again. So a refund is issued assuming that this was a carrier or a warehouse issue. So basically, if you're curious if this is happening to your company, you can reach out to customer service and ask if they've had issues where a customer calls in saying that an item wasn't delivered. And when they look at the tracking information, the final status is delivered, but in a totally different area. That's how you can know if this is happening. This is where the region of where they're sending that tracking number a second time. It, we're still trying to narrow it down with the merchants I'm working with. I'm literally picturing them, some of them having like a murder board from like, I don't know, a detective procedural show or something like that, uh, where they've got all these lines and, of string or yarn or whatever, trying to figure it out. But I do know at least one merchant who has talked to UPS quite extensively about this and they have admitted or confirmed, I guess it's not, I don't fault them. We need to fault the creative fraudsters that are looking for vulnerabilities in the systems that we rely on. These systems were created decades ago and not really updated for the internet. Not as quickly as everyone else evolves, we can be a little bit frustrated. I think that where the blame, the primary majority of the blame should be on these very creative refund fraudsters. They don't have to steal credit card numbers, but they can do all this manipulation stuff and they just love figuring out how to beat the system, so to speak. So when this merchant talked with UPS, they were told that not every distribution center goes off of the barcode and that there really isn't a QA process right now for the address on the label to be connected to the barcodes. And so while what we would expect to happen if the carrier was primarily just going off of the barcode is it would just get sent back to the return label or get sent back to the customer that originally that address is in the system or it would be returned to sender. But instead, there are some distribution centers within this carrier that for whatever reason, rely more on the address that's printed and aren't looking at what the barcode says. And that's what these guys are banking on. So they're changing the physical address on the label, not changing the barcodes at all because they need to be able to call into customer service, give them the tracking number and have customer service see that it was delivered somewhere else. I hope this is making sense without like slides or pictures or a whiteboard. So there are some merchants that are trying to figure out what are those regions of where the distribution centers are that focus on that, because it sure seems like these refunders have figured that out. It does seem like there's a few smaller businesses where they're just looking up random addresses, whether it's, you know, a small retailer or a like a quickie mart or like a what are those called a convenience store? <laughs> so they're looking up convenience store addresses or just something else. So that it just looks like it was delivered somewhere else and there was a system error. And this is responsible for hundreds of millions of dollars in losses already. And it's a fairly new manipulation that has been shared throughout the refund fraudster community. If you're looking at refund fraud ads for your business from refunders like on Telegram or Discord and that they have high dollar limits to how much they can refund, it's often because of this fake TID method because it looks like a system error to the merchant. So of course they're gonna take care of their customers in that way if there's an error on their end, but they're creating that system. So another, there's a variation for marketplaces especially, and especially for marketplaces that don't have a refund policy. There are some marketplaces where the items are one of a kind or 
collectibles or other th things from buyer or from sellers that are like one of a kind and can't just easily be replaced. And so they don't have a refund policy. But these refunders have found that they can use a different payment method, a specifically one that has a dispute process where nine out of 10, if not 10 out of 10 of the times where a customer claims anything, that alternative payment method finds in favor of the buyer. So there have been cases where these marketplaces have seen disputes come back and a buyer has claimed that they received a old dishwashing sponge in the mail instead of a thousand or ten thousand dollar item. And this alternative payment method, because the person took a picture of it, believed them. Or other times with this specific fraud trend, the payment method just looks up the final delivered address because that's what shows up when you look up a tracking number at first and they see, oh, well, you live in Seattle and this package was finally was the final delivery address was in Tennessee. So therefore, you obviously didn't get the item. Now, if that alternative payment method expanded the whole tracking history, they would see it was delivered midway through and then put back into circulation, but they're not doing that. So the marketplaces that are receiving this through this alternative payment method are very clearly disputing this and explaining the fraud tactic and then showing the full details of the tracking and highlighting where it was delivered to the person who was ordering it to try to fight these disputes. They've also met with their account reps at this alternative payment method company to say, hey, this is what's happening to us. We really need you to you know, lay down the law. Otherwise, it's just this permissive structure is just going to let it keep happening. And that that is what's happening right now, unfortunately. For whatever it's worth, I've tried to reach out to that alternative payment method for a few months, a year and a half ago, to show them how they were being used in this way. And they were not as receiving of it as you might think. So but I wasn't trying to say, hey, hire me as a consultant or anything. I literally just wanted to help some merchants I was working with. And it's fine. It's uh, that's their choice. But I did try my part to try to sound the alarm for them that their buyer-friendly policies are being manipulated as well. And because this dispute is not fraud related, seller protection does not apply. And this is something that as long as it works through your customer service, they'll do that first. But if your customer service, you know, starts saying we need to do a review process or, you know, whatever processes you choose to do at that point when a refund is requested, then they will pivot to an alternative payment method. So, you know, usually I try to provide solution suggestions, but in this case, I think understanding this problem can help you lead to a solution. And the solutions vary based on your business model, based on your business, based on your company culture and decisions around customer appeasement and customer experience. I firmly believe that you can greatly reduce refund fraud without impacting your good customers who may have legitimate refund claims. I've proven it working with several companies, but it's something that does need to be worked on internally. But I wanted to mention that I am considering offering the refund fraud workshop for merchants again. I led this in September and had about 30 of literally the biggest online merchants. Some of them were like in the top 20, top 10, attend the workshop and they've, they've you know really credited it for credited the learnings and the workflows and checklists that I provided for reducing their refund problems by millions. So I'm thinking about offering this workshop for a mix of different merchants, in addition to the one-on-one -on -one client projects and subject matter coaching services for merchants that I offer. Just if you need a sounding board or 
you have a team to carry it out, but you just want somebody to say, hey, this is, let's map out this process. This is what's worked for other companies. This is, if you do, this is what they're going to do next and, and that type of thing. I usually don't advertise my consulting services and that's not technically what I'm trying to do, but I do think that right now process improvement is the best way to stop this problem. There are a couple of solutions that I think are promising on this front. Uh, there are a few that I would just suggest to fully vet solutions created by companies that specialize in payment fraud identification first. Not all companies that claim to have a solution for refund fraud actually do. They don't actually understand the issues and complexities. Some of them don't really provide more than increase incremental reduction of losses. Some of them are a little more than just a policy abuse product. Looking at the same account doing this multiple times, that's very different than new account creation for this purpose. Like I mentioned, intentional fraud, there's systemized signals. So there are things that can be done, but it's just a different animal than payment fraud. I think I've said that three times, but it's just, it couldn't be more true. <laughs> So if you're interested in joining a refund fraud workshop with other retailers, um, and at the time, I think I made it just retailers only, and I think that's what I'll do again, work with select solution providers on product consulting and all that, but this is you know, specific for merchants. Or if you want to talk to me about mentorship and training privately on this topic, just reach out to me. I do think that half the battle is understanding how and where they're exploiting your business. And I've done a pretty good job of creating three different modules to really dive into how they're attacking, what their methodology is, where they're pointing at. And then I have checklists and other things for when meeting with other departments to understand their processes and policies. A lot of times companies haven't intentionally audited those in a long time. And I think that while it is important for customer service to have control over that and understand that they need to really help the customer experience, this problem is also really impacting their call center volume and other metrics too. So it's really good to work with these other teams and go to them in a, an approachable way, but just say, hey, I'm hearing from other companies that being impacted by refund fraud and I'd love to help in any way that I can. The companies I know that have done that have been pretty successful in working with other departments, especially when you explain to them the impact on their metrics. And what I will say is that refund fraud is so rampant right now that so many retailers are vulnerable that if you as a company put in some pretty good methods and start not making it so easy for them, they might try a couple more ways. And I, like I said, I know their playbook. They're very predictable, but they'll eventually go away because they'll go to another one. This isn't the same as payment fraud where they'll keep going because there's so many other retailers. They'll just say, okay, we'll go to the next. They'll drop your company name off of their list of their offerings for professional refunders. And then there's a lot of other people that are doing it on their own for themselves too. Anyway, I apologize for having another downer topic, but I hope that you found this interesting if this was a type of fraud that you weren't aware of before. And if your company is starting to see some of these signs definitely look into it more because this is just the beginning of this exploit. The more it works, the more they'll do it and the more they'll target more and more companies. With that, I am done for today, but I look forward to speaking with you next week and I hope everything is going well. Thank you 
again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.